So if you're new with us, again, thanks for being here this morning. What we do uh, throughout the year is we uh, preach and teach out the Bible, and what that typically looks like is we go through books of the Bible. We're actually kind of uh, paused in a series to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll pick that back up next week. I want to just talk about, if I can, I, I kind of just play on the new year kind of um, uh, some people view the new year as a fresh start or as a new beginning, and I, I want to just kind of recalibrate or, or just kind of, um, I, I guess, share from the Bible's perspective what the mission of the church is. We probably do this a couple of times a year, and I, and I don't think we, in fact, we don't probably don't do this enough where we go through and and, and get a glimpse of and get a view from a biblical perspective of what is the mission of God, what is the mission of his church. And, and today I want to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and Paul is going to expound on the mission of the church. The reason why I think this is so incredible important for us to go through is that, you know, I think that a success of a church really kind of hinges and, and, and lays on at the feet of uh, what our mission is. And when I say success, <laughs> don't get me wrong on that. I'm not talking about big buildings and large bank accounts. I'm not talking about uh, things that we would kind of look at in American church and say, oh, they're successful. And, and, and you may ask, well, well, what makes them successful? And and well, they they had they had a thousand people, and so they're successful. Oh well, what makes them successful? Oh well, they had a lot of money in their bank account. That must have made them successful. Well, what makes a church successful? Well, is it you know the the big the good ministries? Is it uh, the really good preacher? Is it the really good um, you know you know just worship and all these things? And we kind of just view all of those things as well. That's a successful church. I, I, I've, I've been through the Bible uh, many times, uh, verse by verse, front to back. Nowhere can I find that that is the measure of what a successful church looks like. We've taken the metrics of a church from being, you know, how many people you have, how many ministries you have, how many people are plugged into those ministries, how many people are giving in your church, and we've equated that to successful church. When I'm talking about a successful church, I'm talking about when Jesus talked to John the Revelator, and he looked at the church of Philadelphia, and he said, church, I want you to remain faithful. That's what a mark of a successful church looks like, a church that is remaining faithful to the cause and the call of Christ Jesus. What then is the cause and the call of Christ Jesus? Here's what I would say. The reason why the church is still here, if you give you like a little taste of a little eschatology this morning, the reason why we have not been up in the air with Jesus is because we have been called to evangelize the nations. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to have a class on, well, why has Jesus not come back? And, you know, well, he's going to come back right here in this AD and this whatever. Well, I'll just be frank with you. Like, we are here on earth to evangelize and to push out the kingdom message of Jesus Christ. That's it. Right? You, I've just saved you 100 bucks on books on why you're here. 
Now, don't, now we laugh at that, but like how many books have you read? Like, what's my purpose? What am I doing on earth? What am I doing here? You know, what's Jesus calling me to do? Read your Bible, boo. It's literally right here. He's called you to evangelize the nations. That ain't just my calling. And so what we have here is Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and is reminding them of the mission of God. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I yelled a lot last night at the stupid TV because I was watching football. So this sermon is going to be really short. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, what does it say? Ambassadors. Like two of you are reading along with me. Congratulations. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One more time, let's pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Now, holy God, we thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the message and the mission that you have outlined to us right here. I, I do earnestly pray, God, that for those who may be in this room that are not in you, I would earnestly plead on their behalf to be reconciled to God, that when we leave this room, we would see how glorious and magnificent Christ the King is. And may your church be edified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, Paul is the writer of the letters to the church of, of Corinth, and he's writing to a pretty hostile situation. In fact, in the area of Corinth, there was a kind of a multi-worship uh, of multi-gods in the area. In fact, Paul would be appealing to these people to turn away from all of the idols and turn away from the gods that you are serving. And, and literally, he's telling them, like... Um, Listen, hell is your eternity if you were not reconciled with Christ, Jesus Christ. He is almost persuading the people to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You look back up and that's in verse 11. Paul is emphatically persuading these people and reminding some of these people of the gospel and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, a lot of people would have thought, Paul may have just been crazy because earlier he was talking about how he's being persecuted for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Others were denying his authority of apostleship and his leadership within the church. 
And so Paul is countering a message to these people and to a hostile nation and to a hostile people, telling them, pleading with them to turn from your sins, turn from the wrath of God and be reconciled to Christ. A couple of things from this text that I love when Paul is talking about how he views people from a human perspective. I really like that and I, that he's talking about, he's, he's no longer viewing them according to the flesh, but now he's viewing them according to the spirit. Now, this needs not much exegesis on this text much, but can I just say that Paul is, is looking at the people and he does not see the people based on their ethnicity. Paul is looking at the people of Corinth and he's not looking at them based upon some kind of uh, social status or some kind of, or, or how much money they may not have in the bank or how much money they have in the bank. And he's not looking and scouring through the crowds and seeing, can I find the uppity ups in this crowd and just minister to them? Or can I find the people who look like they may have it put together and then minister to them? Paul is saying that in order for any of this mission of God to work, we have to view people in a certain way. We have to view them according to the spirit of God. That is to view them not according to what they look like, not according to their ethnicity, not according to uh, what they're wearing or how they smell or, or, you know, you should smell good. But like, he's not saying like, we're not going to press out the mission of God based on any of those things. When I present to the God, when I present the gospel to the Corinth people, when I present the gospel to the people that are listening, I'm not presenting it based on what they look like. I'm not going to present it based on like how they look and in all of these different categories. I'm going to view them through the way that Jesus views them. I'm going to view them through the spirit. I'm going to view them as the imago Dei, as they are in the image of God. Now, if, if I can just apply this to us before we dive more into this, uh, this morning, like when we think about sharing the gospel, who do we think about sharing it to? Are we sharing the gospel with people who look and maybe act and, and, and are in our class of people? Or are we reaching out in the bounds? Or reaching out into the margins of society? And, and reaching out to the people who may not act like us or may not, may not look like us? I want to go back to what a successful church looks like. And it, and it is marked by the faithfulness of the mission that God has given that church. And the mission of a church is not to reach out to people who look like them. It is not a mission of the church. The mission and the, the, the language of the Bible was that this gospel of reconciliation would go out to all the nations. Paul's not looking around. And he's like, well, let me find all the Jews. Let me find all the Romans. Let me find all the Greeks. Paul's now saying that this mission that we are going to advance, this, this, this reconciliation... It's going to go out to all the peoples. I'm going to regard, I'm going to look at them in regards of how the Spirit of God looks at them. This is just language that Paul would use in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, that, that Paul says, There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's, there's one race. There's one people. And Paul is going to go after them. How counterculture is that, right? 
Culture wants you to view people based on their race, based on, you know, different kind of statuses that they have, and we put them in a category. Such an anti-gospel message. Now, in verse 17, Paul gives us this verse, verse 17. For if anyone, I, I love that, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you memorize scripture, you should memorize that verse. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is a gospel like paraphrase that you should have memorized. And it is such captivating good news that if anyone is in Christ, they are not replaced as or maybe modified. They're not fixed. They're not like, you know, let me just kind of let me, let me adjust your marriage and make it look more palatable and more, you know, more acceptable to culture. You know, if anyone's in Christ, let me give them better children, which, good Lord, I wish that was in the scripture, but it's not. If anyone's in Christ, it, it's, it's what? What do you are what? You're old? You're like partially new? No, because Jesus is in the business of fixing things. Jesus is not in the business of making you look pretty. He's in the business of making you new. That's the business of Jesus because he is the active word in creation that is creating things. And he is continuing that motif right now by making men and women new, not fixed. He's not going to modify you. He's not going to remove your bad language and just like, you know what? You'll just like calm down those cuss words there, pal, and then you'll just be on your way to heaven. No, what does he do? He makes us new. It's brand new. If you're looking for Jesus to fix you, you have the wrong Jesus. If you are looking for Jesus to modify your behavior or to make you look more like attractive to culture, you've got the wrong Jesus. He is not in the business of doing that. That is your American standard Jesus at best. And at worst, that Jesus will not save you. But the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that Paul is calling you to, is telling you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. That old has gone and the new has come. That old was buried in the burial of Jesus Christ and that new was raised with him in the resurrection of Jesus. This is really good news, right? Now, this is, what, this is what this brings to us, a newness in Christ. Because we talk about a newness in Christ, and some of us are like, well, what does that even mean? Right? You, you look at the scripture, you're like, what does it mean to be new creation? What does that even mean? Well, for one, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have direct access to God. Now, I, I, if you grew up in church, that's just kind of like some kind of like, oh, okay, well, I knew that. But if you did not grow up in church, or maybe you grew up in a different type of religion, that is probably the most incredible news that you can hear. That you do not have to go through a pastor. You do not have to go through a priest. You do not have to go through a pope or a bishop or a cardinal or whatever dumb title that you can make up. You don't have to go through any of those people. Why? 
Because you have direct access to Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait and see if I'm going to answer the phone to pray for you, honey. Because the same power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that dwells in me, it also dwells in you if you're a believer. So now what that means is that you have direct access to God. Jesus Christ, he tore down the barriers that were between you and God and now sits there as your intercessor. And you go before Jesus to get to the Father. You have that access. It's what we read from Isaiah chapter 40 last week, that Jesus Christ is going to tear down the mountains, raise up the valleys, and remove every barrier to get to you. And that's how we have access to Jesus, is that Christ came down. Not that we had to ascend up to some mountain and to make ourselves look good. No, Jesus God in flesh came down and gave you and I access to him. Not only do we have access to the Father, but now we have um, eternity with the Father. Now, I know that many of us are not thinking about eternity. Like, a lot of us don't think about, like, well, when I leave here, it's probably going to be it. Right? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you need a hug. But we don't, we, I mean, like, eternity is just not on the hearts and minds of, of us. But, but when, you, when you step into the third world countries of our day, where lifespan's probably half what it is here, eternity's on their mind. What's happening when I die is on their minds. And what happens when you die should be something that you should be contemplating. But if you are in Christ, you don't have to do much contemplating about it. Because when you are in Christ as a new creation, you have eternity with him. And that eternity, my friends, is secure in Christ Jesus. You think you're good enough to where, where you think you've the one that's been earned the salvation, and now you think that you're going to be you know, bad enough to where God's going to be like, well, you just forget you. You ain't going to eternity with me. No, you are wrapped. You are sealed with him forever. Like he is yours and you are his. And, like, and you can't break that. Like, that's it. it. You have eternity with Christ. Now, this is what we call, that cough drop almost went your direction, Greg. This is what we call, <laughs> this is so disgusting. I'm so sorry. Oh, shoot. Oh. Okay. That was awkward. I'm so sorry. Mm. Th that is, I appreciate you still loving me through my weirdness and awkwardness because it doesn't get any more awkward than me. You're all in bad trouble. This is what we call regeneration. Now, that's a fancy term, this is, but this is, what, this is what this is. Let me break it down for you, what regeneration is. This is what when, when Nicodemus, if you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and then there's this, like, this really crazy question and, and answer session going on, and, and Nicodemus is like, you know, how, how can I have life? How can I have eternity? He's, he's asking these same questions, and Jesus gives him a really profound statement, and it's wrapped around the doctrine of regeneration, and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, if you're not a believer in here, and, and maybe you are a skeptic in thought, as Nicodemus was, you may be thinking and asking the same question that Nicodemus was asking. Wait a minute, you're not gonna, that, that's, that's biologically impossible. 
How am I going to like re-enter the womb and like come out, Jesus? What, what is this? This is regeneration. That you, you must be born again through, the, through Jesus Christ. And how is that going to happen? Well, that's going to be answered in just a moment. Now look at this next part because this next part is going to be dealing with that mission of the church. This is Paul expounding on the Great Commission that go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And it's this one simple idea of being reconciled with Christ, reconciliation. And that God has entrusted his church with a message of reconciliation. Evangelism through our message of reconciliation. Now, the, 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 the bottom line and, and the good news, if I can say it like that, is that we are all a part of the ministry of reconciliation. And here's what that means. We tell sinners, and I know this is going to sound like pretty offensive, but I have a point to this. We tell sinners, be reconciled to God. That's our message. Now, doesn't that sound weird? So what you're telling me then, right, because if you're a critical thinker, is that you go out and say, sinners, be reconciled with God. <laughs> doesn't that sound crazy? Hey, sinner, be reconciled with God. Well, according to the scripture, uh, that's the reason why we're on earth. That's the reason why that we are breathing right now is that we are to go to the sinner and tell them to be reconciled. The Bible makes it abundantly and absolutely clear that everyone outside of Christ, people are sinners. You're born by nature, you're sinners. By action, you are sinner. And thus, as a result of your sin, you are alienated and you are hostile to a holy and righteous God. Now, to be reconciled simply means that man and God can be back together again. Or to, be better, to better say it, reconciliation is that God made a way for man to commune with him again. Reconciliation is not the opposite of that. Reconciliation is not that man has made way for God to be reconciled back to them. Reconciliation is that God did the work and he made a way for us to be back into communion with him. And that's the mission of who we are. That's what we are to do. This is what we preach to people. Be reconciled to Christ. And the only way God can be reconciled to man then is that sin, right? If we are all born with nature by sin, by action we're sins, sin has to, like, it's got to get out of the picture. And then how is that sin going to get out of the picture? Because remember, if God is just, then God in his holiness cannot dismiss sin without there being some type of substitution that's going to step in and say, I will absorb the wrath. And so then this answers the question then, how are we regenerated? How are we born again? 
How are we made right with Christ? And I love this in this last verse in this chapter. He, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin become sin so that we who are sinners could then become the righteousness of God. Now, don't make no mistake in this verse. This verse ain't calling Jesus a sinner. There is a heresy out there in our world today saying that when Jesus was on the cross, he became a sinner and thus had to go to hell so that he could fight his way back. Right? That, is, that is blasphemy. The text does not say Jesus was a sinner. It says that he became sin. And this is the craziness of the gospel. The one who was perfect. The one who knew no sin. The one who was the spotless lamb of God. It, now let's reverse that. It wasn't you and I the sinner. It wasn't us the sinner who would be charged on the cross. It should have been us. But how is the justice of God going to be satisfied if there wasn't a spotless lamb to come in and to substitute? This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus Christ became the substitute on yours, on our behalf so that we would not have to absorb the wrath of God. So the answer to the cosmic problem of how is the justice of God going to be satisfied? How is it that we are going to be made right when Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is yet of filthy rags? That in our goodness, it's not good enough. There's a cosmic problem, and the cosmic solution steps in in God in flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he, God, took Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf. So that why? We can become regenerated. We can become born again so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that when we step before Judge Jesus there on Judgment Day, he does not see you based on your merits. He does not see you on how much money you made. He does not see you on how successful you were or which neighborhood you lived in. For those who are regenerated in Christ, God sees the righteousness of Jesus you are clothed with his righteousness. You're not clothed with the filthy rags that you can bring. Those things are washed away and he clothes you with his righteousness. This is good. And this is the, and this, sinners be reconciled to God. That's why we can have that message. That's how reconciliation is possible through the finished work of the cross of Christ. So, so let me get back to what our mission is then, because this is, this is the whole question, and this is what I'm supposed to be talking about. What then is our mission? I love verse 20. Look back at verse 20. We implore the sinner to be reconciled. Look what he says. We implore you, not employee, sorry. We implore you on behalf of Christ 
Now, do you think Paul is like subtly saying, well, we're going to just subtly soften the gospel and just present it and just see if someone, if the line catches any fish? Isn't that stupid? Well, let's just throw some softballs out there into culture and let's just see if we get any, you know, anybody to respond. Paul is like, this is emphatic, like, like he is pleading, he is urging, he's like saying, I urge you, like hell is your eternity if you do not believe and be reconciled to God. And that is the task of believers. That is the mission of the church, to evangelize with the message to the sinner, be reconciled to God. It is to say what Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart of man believes, resulting in righteousness, in the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now, let's, let's do a, a quick private survey if we can. If I were to survey you, this was brought up in our small group a couple of weeks ago. If we were to survey the church privately and ask the question, how many of you can confidently say that you can share the gospel? I, I don't want you to respond. I want you to think about that and, and, and answer that in your head. Can you confidently say, I can join hands with the mission of God and implore the sinner to be reconciled? If, if you can, and listen, there's no judgment. It, like nobody's waiting for you to raise your hand or not to raise your hand, right? If you can't, that's okay. That's, that's where we step in. That's where we step in this year and we equip you to emphatically go to the people around you and tell them to be reconciled for God. Now, there are a few ways you can do this, and I don't want to like start giving you bullet points on like, here's how you share the gospel, um, because I think it's different in every situation. But I think there's an answer to that in how we're going to share the gospel. And one of the answers is found back in se verse 17. For if anyone is a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. When you are a new creation, the newness of Christ is a witness to those around you that you are no longer the old person that you used to be. And that, in essence, is a witness to people that you are no longer the person that you used to be. Now, please don't get me please please don't get that as an excuse that you never have to verbally communicate the gospel. Because verbally communicating the gospel is the means and the method of the Bible. Later in chapter 10 of Romans um, Paul goes on to say, how will they hear this message of the gospel if no one is even proclaiming the message of the gospel? Do you know who else does good deeds? People around you. 
do not weigh all, do not put all of your chips in the bag of saying that, well, I'll just live a good life and that's going to be my witness. No, other people around you who do not know Christ, you know what? They can be good people too. I know it's like, whoa, what? So what's the difference? If that person's good, you're good, and that the Muslim is good, and this person is good, so, the, so then we're just all one, and just, we're all going to like just co-mingle together in heaven. No. It's the message. It's the testimony of Christ that you have. It's the message and the mission of God's church to be reconciled to God. I love Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, when Paul's talking about him sharing the gospel, and he says, Brothers, um, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. In other words, he's saying, listen, it, I, can, I can tell them what they want to hear, and that'll stop the persecution. But instead, I'm going to still convey, and I'm going to still profess the saving message of Jesus Christ. And in its offense, it's going to cause me to get persecuted. You know, you go back to the, to the whole thing. Is Well, wow, we're going to tell sinners to be reconciled. And it sounds offensive. But Paul is saying that the message of Jesus Christ is offensive. It is a message that you are not your God. It is a message that you cannot save your soul. It is a message of saying that it is not multi-ways to heaven to get to the Father. It is a message of saying that you are damned to hell if you do not repent. That's the message of the cross. And that is the message of the gospel. One final thing in here that I want to share that I want you to think about and I also don't want you to think about that it's now time to go get the pitchforks and, you know, like the signs that say, you know, like, repent or be damned, you know, those signs. I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know about those people. I think they may need a hug or they may need some wine. I don't know. Um, that's not what I'm suggesting either, so don't leave here thinking that we're going to become one of those fundamentalist churches. Because I want you to say, I think the answer to that question of, 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 of what do I do then is found back in verse 17 when he says, if anyone. Now just think about that. And the question that I have when I read that verse is who is my anyone? Who, who is that anyone that is not in Christ that has not experienced regeneration, that has not been born again, who is the anyone in my life that I need to tell about the testimony, the true testimony of Jesus Christ? Who is the anyone in my life that I need to, that I need to tell, this is what Christ did for me? Who is the anyone that I need to tell that this is what Christ has done and has come to do for all of us? If you just believe, Who is the anyone that I need to ask? Do you know if you're going to make it to the Father? Who is the anyone that I need to ask and, and ask the question of, do you know if you're saved? Because for a believer, we have the assurance of salvation. 
We don't have questions ringing in our head of whether or not we're saved or not based on what we do. We place our trust in Christ Jesus and Christ alone. Who is your anyone? Is it the person that you work with? Is it a person that you're in your house? Is it someone in your neighborhood? Is it someone, someone in your school? Students, is it, is it a teacher? Who is your anyone? Because the promise is, is that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And you know, and I, I can't assume every one of us in this room are believers. Is it you? Are you the anyone that he's talking about? Are you the anyone that he's calling and he's wooing and he's crying out to sinner, be reconciled to God? As we look through this year, I want to give you a few challenges and I'll be done. This is the message and the mission of God. And his strategy is that he's going to have a church that he's going to build. And that church that he is building is going to proclaim a message of salvation. And that message and that church that Christ is building and continuing to build has a message of reconciliation. And that you and I are now a part of this church. And so what is the part that you play in this? If, if you think through ways in how you can play your part well. One, it's, it's, it's in the proclamation of the gospel. And that's not, that's not like to help this church. That's to help the church. Other ways that I want to challenge you on, if you're not serving and helping edify and build the church, like... Like get, like, get off of the sidelines and get plugged in. Bring people. And I don't care if you have to, and I was going to say lie. That's bad. You shouldn't lie. You know, coerce them, like saying, hey, I'll buy your popcorn. Like Lisa, she'll buy your popcorn. Right? I mean, she's eating it right now. <laughs> Surprised you she hadn't thrown any at me. Bring people. Make the gathering a priority. Make what Christ is doing in this room a priority for you. Serve the church. Give to the church. And share the gospel with your anyone. Find who your anyone is. Because that anyone can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus.